The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So if you haven't already, I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 14. We are jumping back into our study of the Gospel of John, which we will finish this year. I've plotted it. It's happening, people. But we are back in right at John chapter 14 after taking our break for Advent. And we come back in right in the middle of the chapter. And so we need a little bit of a refresher just to get back on track as to where we are in this entire narrative. So in John 14, we find Jesus at his final meal with his disciples. This is before, he, right before he's headed to the cross to die. And he knows that. He knows that's coming. And he's told them that it's coming. He's told them that just as much as darkness has descended outside the room they're in, darkness is descending within it. The hour of his death approaches. He's told them that he will be betrayed. He's pointed out that betrayer, Judas Iscariot, who's left the room. He's told them he'll be betrayed. He's told them that he's going away and that they can't follow where he's going. In fact, he said that along the way there, they will deny him. And so it's right. It's right in the midst of that descending darkness, of that deepening despair. I hope you feel it inside of these disciples. It's it's right in the midst of all of that that Jesus speaks the words of John chapter 14 and verse 1. Look at it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Like, how? In light of all that's happening around them, in light of the situation that they're in and what he's telling them, then comes this command, let not your hearts be troubled. The question is, how? And he answers it immediately. Let not your hearts be troubled. How? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Have faith in me. Trust in me. Believe in me. Rest in me. No matter how dark it's getting, trust that I'm over it all and I'm with you and I'm for you. And in order to bolster their faith, in him, he begins to give them promises to, to calm their troubled hearts. Parents do this, don't we? Like, this is the way we parent, this is how my parents parent me. I remember when I was a kid, whenever I had a, a loose tooth, my dad would ask me if he could wiggle it. And I would not let him because I was afraid he's going to yank it out. And so, to bolster my faith in him, he would make promises. I'm just, I'm just going to touch it. I just want to say, I promise, I just want to see how loose it is. I promise I'm not going to, to hurt you. And his promises stirred up faith in me so that I would let him touch it. And of course, he was lying. And as soon as he touched it, he would yank it out. I would never do that to my children, not a single one of the five of them. And yes, the five of them, Shades Valley, we got another one coming in July. I love that mixed reaction. Like, have you like, oh. Oops. Anyway, that's beside the point. Just like my dad would speak promises to stir up faith in me in a much greater way. It's what Jesus is doing with his disciples here in John 14. His disciples are like children who are afraid they're about to be orphaned. That's the metaphor he uses in verse 18. Like, like children who are going to be left alone. This is, this is their, 
their fear being left alone in the midst of a dark world. And he says to them, rest in me, believe in me, have faith in me. And he starts giving them mind-blowing, reality-shaping promises as to why they should put their faith in him. Why their hearts don't have to be troubled in the midst of the darkness. And this, these are mind-blowing, reality-shaping promises, not just for those disciples then, but for us now as followers of Christ. This is, he's giving us the reasons why we should put our faith in him. Why we should trust in him. Why our hearts don't have to be troubled in the midst of a dark world. This is insanely practical. Because we still live in the midst of a broken world. I'm not saying that it's all doom and gloom and there's nothing good. No, God made this world good and we affirm it is good and there is much good. But it is broken not as it should be, in need of his redemption, of his reclamation, of him renewing and remaking all things to be the way that he created them to be. And all you got to do is look around just a little bit to know that that's true. And in, in the midst of this brokenness and in the midst of the darkness, we are a people who don't despair. That's what makes us unique. Turn on talk radio, turn on the news, and you will find people despairing all over the place. We are a people who in the midst of the darkness, our hearts are not troubled. Why? Because we trust in the God who's sovereign over the darkness. Why? He gives us promises. If you remember in verse 1 through 6, he gave us promises about our future. Basically that it's secure. That one day we will make it home to be with him and have joy in his glorious presence forever. And he gave us those future promises in order to lay a foundation for present promises. If he's promising our future, if that is secure, then he's got to also be promising everything we need to get there. You see how that lays a foundation for present promises. So he lays the foundation, then he begins to unfold promises for their present. And in verses 7 to 14, we focused in on two primary promises. Jesus promised his disciples and us that now, in our present, even though he's going away, number one, that won't decrease our ability to know him. It will actually increase it. And number two, he promised that in his going away, that would not decrease his work among us, but instead it would actually increase his work through us. Do you remember that? He gave us a promise about his, our knowing and our doing. It's a promise of, of presence and power. It's a promise to provide all we need until we get all the way to glory. Our knowing of him increased. He's present with us, even though physically not here. Our knowing will increase. Our, his doing through us increased. Presence and power increased. And after we finish looking at all of that, my reaction is, that's awesome. But how? How does that actually happen? Like, thank you for the promises, Jesus. But, but this is kind of counterintuitive. Your going away increases my ability to know you. Your going away increases your work. Through. How does that, that work? How do I know 
that you will provide your presence and power so that my heart won't be troubled. I mean, that's, don't forget, that's his goal, that our heart won't be troubled. He could be lying like my dad, only this wouldn't yank out our tooth, this would yank out our hearts. How do, how do I know that his promises are for real? How do I know he is present? How do I know he is working his power through me? In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 26, our passage that you just heard read, Jesus tells us how. How. He tells us how because he, he doesn't just want us to have the promise that we'll know him more or have the promise that he'll do more through us. He wants us to experience that reality. He wants us to know what that looks like, what to look for, how to know it's actually happening in our, our, our lives. Do you experience the reality of the presence and power of God in your life? Could you answer that question? Could you say, yes, and here's how, and here's how. I want you to be able to do that. Jesus wants us to be able to, to do that. He wants us to experience his presence and his power. He wants you to know that's happening so that your heart won't be troubled. So he tells us how these promises are going to be kept. Let's see it together. Got the map. Know where we're going. Let's go there. John chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 15. Jesus is speaking, and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you were listening during the reading earlier, you know that Jesus actually repeats something along these lines. He does so four times here in verse 15, then he's going to say it again in verse 21, verse 23, and verse 24. What he's doing is he's making explicit who his promises are for. Four, namely, true disciples. True disciples. All throughout this gospel, as we've journeyed through the gospel of John, we have seen Jesus again and again and again distinguish between true faith and false faith, faith that just kind of hangs on to him for a little bit. True disciples and, and false disciples. And at the bottom, the foundational level, what we've seen to be the difference, the fundamental difference, is that false faith want something from Jesus. True faith wants Jesus. For false faith, Jesus is a means to another end. For true faith, Jesus is the end. False disciples want to follow Jesus, or no, excuse me, Reverse that. False disciples want Jesus to follow them where they lead and work his power for their glory and in their favor how they see fit. True disciples want to follow Jesus' lead for his glory. Is that not what Jesus is saying right here? If you love me, you, you will obey my commands. It's what you'll do because you love me and you want to go where I go. You, you want to follow where I lead. It's what you want here's the deal. Jesus is laying out why, who these promises are for, true disciples. He's reminding us of that again and again and again throughout this passage because it would be really easy to hear these amazing promises of Jesus and to take them and, and twist them to our own ends. People do this all the time. Just look back up two verses. Look back up to John chapter uh, 14, 
verses 13 and 14. Look at the last promise we saw from Christ. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. People rip this out of context all the time. Turn it very quickly into what's sometimes called a name-it-claim-it theology. Like, I can, I can name anything I want, claim it, in the name of Jesus, and it will happen. That's what the text says, doesn't it? No. That's not what the text says. To ask for something in the name of Jesus means to ask, not to use his name as like a magical formula just to get what I want. It means to ask for something in accordance with who he is, in accordance with his will, in accordance with his desires, in accordance with with him to accomplish his purposes for his glory. That's what the text says. Look at it again. Whatever you ask in my name, in line with me, in line with who I am, in line with my, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son to accomplish my purposes, my will for the glory of my Father. So, as Jesus continues to make incredible promises about his presence and about his power that people love to rip out of context, use however they want to, as he continues to make those, he's going to clarify again and again that these promises are for true disciples who desire him, love him, so that they keep his commands for for his glory. Because they, they love him, their aim is to follow where he leads. So it is to true disciples that Jesus makes these promises. My going away won't decrease your knowing me. It'll increase it. It won't decrease how much I'm working among you. It will increase my working through you. How? How? Jesus, we're back to our original question. Jesus begins to unfold that in verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Later he'll call him the Holy Spirit. This is why we've got to know who it is that Jesus is talking to, to true disciples who want what he wants because people love to create their own doctrines, their own teachings, ideas about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does all the time. Jesus says, no, I'm going to tell you who the Spirit is. I'm going to tell you what he does. Those who love me, who seek to follow me, he is for them and I'm going to tell you how. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. How will our knowing Jesus increase, even though he's going away? Through the Holy Spirit. How will Jesus work through us? How how, how will his work through us increase even though he's going away? Through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that he and the Father will send another helper. Parakletos. Some of you may have heard that word before. Paraclete means comforter. Counselor, don't, don't think, when you hear counselor, don't think like someone who sits and listens to you and then gives you advice. Think courtroom. Think lawyer. I've got to confer with my counsel. 
It's just someone who comes alongside you to, to stand for you, to fight for you, to comfort you when you are on the line. Comforter, counselor. The idea is that just as Jesus has been with the disciples, now another. Do you notice that word? Alos in Greek. I tell you that because there are two words for another or other in Greek. Alos and heteros. Alos means another of the same kind. Heteros means another of a different kind. Alos, another helper, just like me, Jesus says. I am God in the flesh. I'm not giving you something less than you're still getting God, a very God. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who is God. We believe as Christians in a God who is triune, one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is telling the disciples that they are losing nothing because of his going away, but they're actually gaining another helper, another person of the triune God who is the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not, I want to clarify really quickly, as Jesus says that they are going to be receiving the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's not as if the Holy Spirit has not been active in their lives up until this point. Common misconception that the Holy Spirit was just chilling out in a recliner until Pentecost. It's not, not the biblical picture. He's active from Genesis 1. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters in creation. He's active all throughout the Old Testament. He's active already in the lives of the disciples as well. Like, like if he had not been active in their lives already, these disciples couldn't be true disciples. They couldn't love Jesus. They couldn't obey Jesus. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about more of that later. But but he has been present with them. Simply look at the end of verse 17. Did you catch it right there? He says, Jesus says, you know the Holy Spirit, you know him, for he dwells with you in the present, and he will be in you. In other words, what's about to happen is that the relationship with the Holy Spirit is about to change. Because of the work that Jesus is about to complete through his death and his resurrection, their relationship with the Spirit is going to change. Jesus has pointed to this all throughout this gospel, probably most explicitly in John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now Jesus said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not yet died, risen from the dead, but once he had, once he had taken our sin, the death that it deserved upon himself so that we might be freely made holy, then we could be a temple for the Holy Spirit of God. Made holy to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God in us, that we might know him even more. The very power of God through us, that he might do his works through us even more. Jesus is leaving, but our knowing will increase because he's present with us through the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is leaving, but his working through us will increase because his power will work through us by the Holy Spirit. Presence and power, knowing and working, all of it increasing. This is exactly what Jesus himself confirms in the very next verses. Look at verse 18 to 21. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You've got to attach that to the promise that came right before it, of the sending of the Holy Spirit. I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. My presence will be with you. How? I just promised you how. Holy Spirit, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. How's that work? That some see him and others don't. It's because he's present by the Holy Spirit. It's a promise of presence. He keeps going. Because I live, you also will live. That's a promise of power. Arise from the dead powerfully by the Holy Spirit. And the book of Romans promises us that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Because I live, you also will live. You're going to be empowered you can have this new relationship with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to work his power through you. It's a promise of power. Verse 20, in that day, in that day, when you have the Holy Spirit, you will know that I am in the Father. You'll know who I am. It'll finally be revealed to you. And you in me, you've got a relationship with me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. In other words, however you relate to me is how you relate to God the Father. You love me, you're in a real loving relationship with my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I'll be with you, present with him. Jesus will be present with and powerfully working through his true disciples by the Holy Spirit. You see that. This is how our knowing him increases. It's how his working through us increases, by the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Fantastic. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, at this point, I'm still like, my question isn't fully answered. Like, it, it seems to me, I argue with myself when I preach, by the way. It seems to me that we've only pushed the question back another level. We've only pushed it back another step. Here's, here's what I mean. We asked, how does our knowing Jesus and his doing through us increase when he leaves, answer, through the Holy Spirit. But that just backs up my question one level. So now I'm asking, how does the Holy Spirit increase our knowing Jesus and increase his working through us? How can I know that is happening? Like, what does that, that look like? Because... Here's the deal. Don't forget, Jesus' ultimate goal right here is, is to calm our troubled hearts. He wants us to know that he's with us, that he's for us, that he's present, that he's powerfully with He wants us to know that. Like, no matter what darkness we go through in life, our hearts can be untroubled because we know that Jesus is with us by the Holy Spirit. 
if I'm honest with you, that news, that concept, that argument right there has often had the opposite effect in my life. Like instead of making my heart not troubled, instead of calming my troubled heart, it has troubled my heart all the more. Because I didn't feel the Holy Spirit present with me. I didn't feel him powerfully working through me. It's Jesus' promise, present and power, how through the Holy Spirit. Great. I don't feel that. And I'm not alone in having felt that way. I've been at this now in ministry for 17 years. And I, ha- I, I have counseled person after person after person around this issue, maybe more than any other. It, I've counseled person after person who doubts the presence and power of God in their life. How do I know that the Holy Spirit is really in me, that Christ is in me through the Holy Spirit? How do I know the Holy Spirit is working through me? And what they're ultimately asking is, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm a true disciple? How do I know I'm saved? I counsel people around that question probably more than any other. And it's ironic because it's the very thing Christ wants us to know. Whole books are written about this in the Bible. John will write his first epistle, so that you may know rock-solid confidence in the presence and power of God in your, your life. And I, I talk with people, and they know that Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit would dwell in them and work through them, but, but they don't see evidence of that happening. I believe I know why they feel that way. Maybe you feel that believe that I know why I have felt that way in the past. It's because of the way I'm defining the Spirit's presence and power. And I'm not defining it according to what Jesus has to say. I'm defining it by looking at people around me. I think what I've seen over and over again within my own life and the lives of others is that we look around at the experiences that others are having around us. We listen to how they describe the Holy Spirit's presence and power in their life. Usually, it comes across as some kind of feeling. And this causes an existential crisis. Because I don't have that feeling. I look around during worship, I see people weeping, and I'm not weeping. People getting like, Shivers up and down their spine, and my spine's fine. And I would walk away from hearing people describe the work of the Spirit in their life saying, that's not happening for me or in me. And my heart would be troubled. I must not have the Spirit of Jesus or be a true believer, and darkness would descend, and despair would deepen. That's you. Listen, Christ has promised us the Holy Spirit for the exact 
opposite reason, so that our hearts may not be troubled. This is my goal this morning, for your heart to not be troubled. I want, I want you to have rock-solid confidence that the Holy Spirit is present, the triune God is present through the Spirit and powerfully working in and through you. Shades, I deeply love you and care for you and I want this confidence for you so that no matter what darkness we face, we face it with confidence in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit that they are with us and for us. I want us to have this rock-solid confidence I believe that we, we can't. We can know that this is happening in our lives if we will stop comparing ourselves with other people's experiences, stop listening to their words about the Holy Spirit for just a second and look at Christ's words about the Spirit. Stop listening to other people's description of the Holy Spirit's presence and power and look at Jesus' description. He's not going to unpack for us everything about the Spirit and his work right here, but he is going to give us what we need to know he's present and his power is working in our lives. He tells us exactly what it looks like for the Spirit to be increasing your knowledge of Him, and what it looks like for Him to be powerfully working through Him, so that your heart may not be troubled. So, what does He say? What does this look like? The disciples are asking something similar. Look at where we left off in verse 22. Judas not Iscariot, the betrayer he already left, said to Jesus, Lord, how? How? How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Not the exact same question as ours, but it gets at the same root. He's, he's asking, listen, it, it doesn't make sense that we would be able to see you, that you would be present with us, but that the world wouldn't be able to see you, that you wouldn't be present with them. Like, that's how things work currently, Jesus. You're physically with us. Everybody can see you. You're saying you're going to manifest yourself to us, but not the world. How does that work? And Jesus has been trying to explain to them that after his death and resurrection, he's still going to be present with them. They'll still see him. He'll still manifest himself to them, but it's going to be different because it's going to be by the Holy Spirit. That's not going to happen for the world. It's only going to happen for those who, who are his disciples. So he repeats that. He repeats the answer he's already given in verses 23 to 24. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In other words, if he's a true disciple, my Father will love him. You relate to me in a loving relationship. You have a loving relationship with my Father. The only way to be in a relationship with my Father is through me. If anyone loves me, keeps my word, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's how I'm going to manifest myself to you. I'm going to have a real relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and does not keep my words. The word that you hear from me is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In other words, whoever doesn't have a relationship with me doesn't get one with the Father either. The words that I speak are his words. You only get to him through, through me. Jesus repeats his answer. The way, the only way, or the way that you're going to see me but the world won't is that you're going to have a true relationship with me through the Holy Spirit. The world's not going to have that. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going to tell them how this will happen. How he and his father will come and make their home with them in such a way that they will experience him while the world 
doesn't. Look at verses 25 and 26. These things, like what I just said, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus says, I've been here with you, revealing myself to you, making myself and the Father known to you through my words. These things I've spoken to you. Jesus himself at the beginning of this gospel is called the Word incarnate. He's he's been revealing who God is, speaking it, showing it. He says, I've been speaking to you. These words that I've spoken to you, I've been making known who I am, who the Father is. And this is going to continue even after I leave. It's going to continue through the Holy Spirit. He's going to work through my words. Did you see that? He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit is going to work through my words. You will find this combination all throughout Scripture. Word and Spirit. Word and Spirit. The Spirit works through the Word. Look for it. It's everywhere. It makes sense. Ephesians 6.17 says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's His sword that He wields. Jesus says, this is how the Holy Spirit is going to be at work, revealing to you who I am, who the Father is. He's going to do it through my Word. He'll bring to remembrance all that I have said to you, and through my words, He will teach you, reveal to you, manifest to you who I am. The Holy Spirit will work through the Word of Christ to reveal Christ. Jesus has been saying that in different ways since the beginning of our passage. In verse 16, he called the Spirit another, like himself. It's like me, he's going to reveal to you who I am. That was confirmed in verse 17, where he called the Spirit the Spirit of truth. It's the Spirit of Truth, remember just a few verses earlier, if you look up to John 14 and verse 6, Jesus called himself the truth. I am the way and the truth. Now he says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the one who will reveal the truth. The truth about me. The truth about who I really am. That's confirmed in verse 20. Look at verse 20. In that day, the day when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will know that I am in my Father. You'll know who I truly am. The Spirit will reveal it to you. The Spirit of truth will show you that I really am God in the flesh, that I am one with the Father. He will reveal to you my identity, that I am God of very God. The Holy Spirit will reveal to us the glory of Jesus as God. This is what the Spirit does. He reveals the glory of Jesus through the word of Jesus. Jesus himself confirms this again And again, we're going to get here in just a little while. Listen to John chapter 16 and verse 14, a couple of weeks down the road. Jesus says this of the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. He'll lift me up. He'll show you my glory, my beauty, my goodness, my greatness. This is what he does. He will glorify me for, connecting clause right there, for, goodness, I love syntax and grammar sometimes, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Word and spirit. 
put these pieces together. How can you know if the Holy Spirit of God is present in your life? Does he work through the word of God to show you the beauty of Christ? Like, when you hear this word, do you see the glory of Jesus? Does he look beautiful? Does he look attractive? I'm not asking if you get a tingle down your spine or tears in your eyes. That may happen. Nothing wrong with that if it does. But there's a whole lot of things in our life that can cause tears and tingles down the spine. I cry every time I watch Toy Story 3. Every time. I was thinking Pixar playing with our heartstrings. It's not the Holy Spirit. I, I get chills tingling in my spine every time I listen to Dashboard Confessional. That's my confession right now to all of you. Don't judge me. I'm getting judged so hard, but only by about 10 years worth of people, so it's okay. It's a musical group. Nobody else worry about it. All right. It's not the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you, do you get emotional during the bridge of your favorite worship song? I'm asking, when the gospel is preached, regardless of whether or not you like the preacher's style, if the preacher's being faithful to the word of God, when the gospel's preached, do you see the beauty, the glory of Jesus? Is he attractive? When you hear the gospel sung, regardless of whether or not the music is in your style. I remember I was probably about 18, 19 years old, I got a call from another pastor in our town. He couldn't preach that morning. He asked me, hey, Jonathan, will you come and preach to my congregation? I said, yes. I show up. It's this room that will probably seat about 200 people. And I kid you not, there's 15 people in there, and three of them are in the choir. And, and there's this lady that's, that's directing the choir music, and she's like 90 years old. I'm not exaggerating. Like, normally I exaggerate. This is not an exaggeration. And there's an out-of-tune piano, and that's all, and they're singing these old hymns on this out-of-tune piano. Her voice is shaking. Nobody in there can carry a tune. And there was worship in that place. And my world began to crumble and fall apart. You mean that the Holy Spirit can work without a smoke machine? Like he can move even though there's not a synthesizer in the band making the songs transition nicely from one to the next. I had connected the work of the Holy Spirit with a feeling I got based upon things that the Spirit doesn't even need to work. In, in my, be careful, be careful, Shane. Don't construct a theology of when you know the Spirit is present or God is present or when you don't. Don't construct a theology of that that would rob him of being present to the overwhelming majority of Christians around the world and throughout history. And even Jesus in the early church, they didn't have a synthesizer. Who knows how that place got shaken? They didn't have any subs. Spirit was powerfully present. When you hear the gospel sung, is it beautiful to you? When you read this word, do you read this word? 
I'm not asking, do you understand absolutely everything? Do you never yawn? I'm not asking, I nod off when I read this thing sometimes. But I'm asking, when you read it and you see the beauty of Christ, does he come across as beautiful to you? Attracted to him. That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Without his work, you could not see Jesus as beautiful. 2 Corinthians 4 says that all of us, our eyes are blind naturally to the gospel of the glory of Christ. The, gospel, the good news about the beauty of Jesus. We're blind to that naturally. Jesus himself has already told us in this gospel, if you go back to John chapter 3, he's told us that the light, the shining brightness, the light of his glory has come into the world and people love the darkness and hated the light. That's our natural state. And that situation won't change unless our dead heart is regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Jesus explains in John chapter 3. Holy Spirit has to, to bring to life our dead heart. He's got to open our blind eyes so that we see the glory of Christ. If you see Jesus is beautiful, the Holy Spirit is present. Christ, the beautiful Christ you see, is present with you regardless of how you feel. Let not your heart be troubled. You can have rock-solid confidence that the Holy Spirit is present because he makes the glory of Christ manifest to you. And you want him. You see Jesus and you want Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit working his power through you. He reveals the presence of Christ, his beauty, to you. And then he works his power through you. want that. You don't naturally want Jesus. But, but you see Jesus as that which will satisfy your soul, be your joy. For, and and you, you want him, the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit working his power through you, making Jesus your joy. We who once loved the darkness now want the light. That is the powerful work of God. Jesus has said that all throughout this gospel. John 6 and verse 44. No one can come to me, Jesus says. You're not going to want me. You can't come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And the Father does that by the work of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus says just a few verses later. John 6 and verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words, word and spirit, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The Holy Spirit works through my words to give you life. The Father opens your eyes to behold my glory and you want me. You're drawn to me. The Holy Spirit works through the word of God, revealing to us the glorious presence of Jesus. And he powerfully works in us joy in Jesus. This this is what has been happening in the lives of these disciples. They're true disciples. They love Jesus. They want him. They want to follow his commands, right? Why? Why do they do that? Jesus told us in verse 17, because the Spirit has been with them. But all of that is about to increase. What they see of Jesus 
and how they want him as their joy, it's all about to increase because the Spirit will be in them. Is he in you? You can know that with rock-solid confidence. No matter how much darkness descends into your life or how much it feels like despair is deepening within you, no matter how much it looks like Christ is absent from you, he's made you a promise. I'm not absent. I'm with you and I'm for you and you can know it. Your heart doesn't have to be troubled. It can rest fully in him, knowing he's present and powerfully working through you. How? Do you see the glory of Christ through the word? That's the spirit revealing to you the God who is present with you, whether you feel him or not. By the spirit, God the Son, God the Father are present with you. They've made their home with you. Did you notice that language in verse 23? The Father and the Son will come to you. They will make their home with all believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, what's, I, I point this out because it's interesting to me, right there, that word home, Greek word, mone, not money, mone. It's, it's only used one other time in this gospel by Jesus in this same chapter. Go back up to verse two. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Monet. That's the word. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And now in verse 23, Jesus says, Father and I, by the Spirit, will come and make our room, our dwelling, our Monet with you. Do you, do you see what Jesus is saying? Yes. He's saying, yes, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but right now, in your present, I have a place with you. Everything that I'm preparing for you in the future, everything that awaits you, full joy in my presence forever, yeah, by the Holy Spirit, you get a foretaste of it now. Do you see the glory of that? You only can by the Spirit. And do you want it. You only can by the power of the Spirit. Do you want Jesus? That's the Holy Spirit working powerfully through you. It's not natural to love Jesus. It's the supernatural miracle. And through that love, the Spirit of God will empower you to do all that Christ calls you to do. Is that not where we started? If you love me, you will keep my commands. Love, I want to. It empowers me to follow Jesus, to keep his commands. That's the Spirit powerfully working through me so that I follow Jesus. I'll close with this. Try and put the whole picture together. Some of you have heard this story before, but it's the best one I got. I can't think of a better one. The first time that Kara saw an ice cream truck, it freaked her out. It was my oldest daughter. She was like four at the time. She was scared. She started running away from the truck. I mean, it's a strange-looking van blaring music, driving straight at her. But I told her, I was like, baby, don't, don't be afraid. It's an ice cream truck. We can get ice cream. And through my words, her eyes were opened 
to the glory of the truck. And a powerful joy welled up inside of her. And she would follow whatever command I gave her, whatever command that driver gave her, in order to satisfy the longing of her heart. Stand here, baby. Okay, I'll stand there. Wait here. Okay, I'll wait there. You got to pick out your, I'll pick out my ice cream. You got to pay money. Okay, I'll pay money. I don't care what it costs. Like, these commands were not burdensome for her because she loves ice cream. This picture is not perfect, but I hope that it helps. Holy Spirit works through the Word to reveal to you the glorious presence of Jesus. And He empowers a joy, a love that clings to Christ so that you follow wherever He leads. He is the satisfaction of your soul, and His commands are not burdensome. John says it explicitly, 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome we love him. This is how the Holy Spirit is present and powerful in your life. So let not your hearts be troubled, shades. He's with you. He's for you. Present, powerful, increasing your knowing by revealing the beauties of Christ to you through the word and increasing his work in you by stirring up love for Christ that fulfills his command.